So today our reading from God's Word comes from Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law no one will be justified. This is the word of the Lord. What's up y'all? It's good to be back home. Uh, if I haven't met you already as Josh shared, I am Charles McKnight, a former pastor actually here at Christ Central. Uh, the former pastor of West Charlotte Church, and now the new coordinator for the PCA's African American Ministries, and it's just so good to be with y'all this morning. Before we dive into our passage, I just want to share a little bit about our ministry at AAM. Out of over 5,200 pastors in the PCA, only 67 of them are African American, not much more than 1%, which of course isn't a lot. And this percentage is seen not only in our pulpits, but it's also reflected in many of the church pews across the PCA. So our mission at AAM is to help the PCA to better reflect the demographics of our country, to help more and more African Americans find and make a home for themselves here in the PCA. And we do this through a variety of ministry initiatives. I won't list them all, but some of them include our new Center for African American Church Planting, that we're just getting off the ground. We also host virtual group cohorts that serve as a place of support for African-American leaders and future leaders in the PCA. We host an annual national conference that's actually coming up next week called LDR. And LDR is where we bring together African-Americans from across the PCA for a time of worship and training and just overall encouragement. We also host a podcast, as Josh mentioned, uh, called Between the Pew. Um, and I encourage you all to check out that podcast if you can. And in that podcast, we highlight the stories and journeys of African-American leaders in the PCA. And finally, we work with churches like Christ Central to help connect them with qualified African-American candidates for open ministry positions. We at AAM are so grateful for the ways the Lord has been blessing our work and especially grateful for the ways that Christ Central as a church have been faithful partners. And we would love to recruit you individually uh, to consider being a part of our prayer and financial support team. So if you have any interest at all in partnership, please let me know. I'd love to have a conversation with you. I actually have a partnership sign-up form in the lobby as well as some information cards with my contact info on it. Thank you for allowing me that brief commercial break. And with that, let's turn our attention back to our passage this morning. 
My message today is going to be brief, but I believe it's a message of particular relevance for an intercultural church like Christ Central. So let's pray before we dive in. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us, help us to grow in our love for you and our commitment to you and our love and commitment to your people, to the full diversity of your people through this word on this morning. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Acting brand new. Raise your hand if you've ever heard that expression before. You're acting brand new. Not acting, but acting brand new. For those that may be unfamiliar, I know at least in the African-American community, acting brand new was a common expression. An expression that describes an individual who is behaving in a manner that's different from their normal and expected behavior, usually as a result of some outside influence. We may say someone is acting brand new when they've gone away somewhere and come back or someone new has come around them, which has caused them to change the way that they're acting towards you, treating you differently, like they're now too good to be around you. When that happens, we may tell them, bruh, you're acting brand new. And in our passage this morning, it appears that Cephas, a.k.a. the great apostle Peter, Jesus's OG disciple and leader in the early church, it appears that this Peter had one day started acting brand new towards his Gentile brothers and sisters. Now, remember in the book of Acts, the apostle Peter, who was a Jew who became a Christian, had received a special revelation from Jesus revealing to him that this gospel that salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, that this gospel was to be a intercultural gospel. In other words, Jesus was to be for everybody, not just for folk on the Jewish side of town, but also for those Gentiles on the other side of the tracks too. And by implication, this meant that the new community that Jesus was forming around this gospel, his church, was to include folk from both sides of the track, Jews and Gentiles together. Again, the Christian church was to be an intercultural church. And back in Acts chapter 10, Jesus decided to impress his plan for an intercultural church into Peter's mind and heart through a powerful vision. If you remember, it was a vision of a sheep with a bunch of ceremonially unclean animals on it which revealed to Peter that the food purity laws of the Old Testament that Jews had used to elevate and separate themselves from those unclean pork-eating Gentiles was to be no more. There were to be no more barriers to their intercultural community with one another. And it seemed up to now that this vision that Jesus had given Peter had changed him forever. As a matter of fact, according to the Apostle Paul in verse 12 of our passage, Peter had taken the lead in acting in step with this intercultural gospel truth. Up to now, Paul says, you could find Peter on any given day, hanging with his Gentile brothers and sisters, eating all the bacon sandwiches and pork chop biscuits they wanted, enjoying their gospel freedom and unity with one another. Peter had become the poster child for what an intercultural gospel-woke Jewish Christian looked like. But apparently, one day, your boy Peter 
started acting brand new. Again, Paul says in verse 11 of our passage that when Cephas, again, that's just another name for Peter. When Peter came to Antioch, Paul says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. In other words, Paul says, yeah, I called Peter out because he knew good and well he was wrong. He was wrong, Paul says in verse 12, because before certain men came from James, what he's talking about there is before these Jewish Christians came down from Jerusalem. Paul says before these folk came rolling through, Peter was all up with his Gentile brothers and sisters again, eating all the pig feet and chitlins they wanted. But when these folks showed up, Peter says, Paul says that Peter drew back. He separated himself from his Gentile brothers and sisters. Peter started acting brand new. And because of Peter's high level leadership in this new Christian movement, Peter's brand new acting actually influenced others to start acting brand new too. As Paul tells us in verse 13 of our passage, even your boy Barnabas, who, remember, was famous in the early church for being the great encourager. Even good old encouraging Barnabas was negatively influenced by Peter to start acting brand new, too. Now, let's just pause for a second and think about how all this must have made their Gentile brothers and sisters feel. Their whole life, these Gentiles were made to feel like second-class citizens to Jews. And so when the gospel came their way, for many of these new Gentile gospel believers, I imagine it was a whole lot easier for them to believe in Jesus than to be willing to be vulnerable enough to enter into community with those prejudiced Jewish folk. And yet, with all their reservations, these Gentile Christians moved by the Holy Spirit had taken the gospel risk to open up their lives to their new Jewish Christian brothers and sisters. And I imagine that by the time Peter had started acting brand new, folk in this intercultural church had probably just finally moved beyond surface level relationships with one another. They had likely grown beyond just smiles on Sunday, beyond just tolerating one another to begin to develop deep and vulnerable and beautiful gospel relationships with one another. This church was finally starting to truly become the intercultural family of God on earth that Jesus had visioned. But that day, when Peter and others started acting brand new, those old fears that these Gentiles had fought through came true. When their Jewish Christian brothers and sisters turned their backs on them, their turned backs communicated that they really didn't see their Gentile brothers and sisters as equals. And if they did, that they didn't have the courage to act like it. And of course, Paul could see the great danger that their brand new acting posed for Christ's vision for a unified intercultural church. And so that's why Paul in verse 14 called them out. He blew the whistle on the play, telling them they were foul, out of bounds, offsides, telling them that their step back move was out of step with the truth of the gospel. Paul called them out because he knew their brand new acting could easily move this new and fragile Christian movement in a bad new direction. In a direction where Jewish and Gentile Christians, where folks across lines of diversity would begin to think that maybe, just maybe, we should just do church separately. 
equally maybe, maybe even have some joint evening services together every once in a while. But that this whole intercultural church thing, as cute of an idea as it seems, isn't really necessary. And if it ain't necessary, they probably thought, then it's definitely not worth it. Not worth the struggle, the hurt, the betrayal. And again, I believe this situation in Galatians is particularly relevant for intercultural churches like Christ Central. Those of you who've really made an honest effort to try to build relationships with folks in this church that are different from you, you know that that's not always easy to do. Amen? What is easy in an intercultural church is to be misunderstood and to misunderstand others at times. In an intercultural church, it's a whole lot easier to get your feelings hurt or to unintentionally hurt someone else's. And all this would be true even if everyone was given all they have to try to make this thing work, which, of course, isn't always the case. From my experience, some folks come to intercultural churches like Christ Central because they like the idea of them. But when the rubber meets the road, some are relationally passive in working to make them happen. And to be relationally passive in any church, especially in a church like this, is actually making a decision to draw back like Peter, which will eventually lead you to drift away. And so this passage this morning is God's special gift to you, Christ Central. Not only for its call to not draw back, but also for how it gives you a heads up on the specific temptations to watch out for that will most often lead you to want to draw back from one another. And the two root temptations that we see in our passage this morning are pride and peer pressure. First, pride. Now, we all know there's a healthy kind of pride, right? The healthy pride a parent has for their child. The healthy pride one may have in their accomplishments. The healthy kind of pride that one may have for their heritage. But of course we know there's another kind of pride, an unhealthy, sinful kind of pride that the Bible speaks a lot about. It's the kind of pride that makes us prideful, which leads us to believe that we're better than other folk. And it's that kind of pride the bad kind of pride, specifically a bad version of prejudice, ethnic pride, that was at the root of Peter and other Jewish Christians starting to act brand new towards their Gentile brothers and sisters. Now, I imagine that before Peter's Jewish homeboys came rolling through, Peter and the rest probably thought, there's no way I'm a bigot. I mean, maybe I used to be towards the Gentiles, you know, maybe I grew up being taught that those Gentiles were unclean and uncouth. But once I got enlightened, right, once I got gospel woke to Christ's intercultural plan for his church, that got rid of every bigoted bone in my body. I'm sure some thought that. But of course, we see that many of them were blind to the fact that they still had some bones of bigotry, some pieces of prejudice some residue of racism still covering their hearts. And when folk from their Jewish tribe showed up that day, all that did was excavate that pride in their hearts to the surface of their actions. 
So sinful ethnic pride was part of the root of their unity-destroying brand-new acting. And coupled with this sinful pride was just some plain old peer pressure. Paul says at the end of verse 12 that Peter drew back and separated himself from his Gentile brothers and sisters because, get this, he feared the circumcision party. Again, the other strong, tempting force that led even the great apostle Peter to start acting brand new was nothing more than peer pressure, which is something that we've all experienced. That feeling that tugs you to do something or to not do something because of how it might impact how your friends, your people, your crew, your tribe might see you. Peer pressure. And who were these peers that Peter and others felt pressure to please? Again, Paul calls them the circumcision party. The, quote, conservative Jewish Christian folk at the time. These were the ones that were straight out of the Jewish synagogues and who were slow to embrace, even pushing back some of them, against the idea of those unclean, ham-biscuit-eating, immoral, don't-know-how-to-act Gentiles being a part of the church. They were only really open to those people, the Gentiles, being in community with us good Jewish folk if they assimilated to our Jewish traditions and culture. And of course, again, deep down, Peter knew that Jesus had definitely put the Gentiles on the team without any extra requirements. And again, that's why up to this point, Peter was kicking it in community with them. But when these Jewish Christian folk came rolling through, Peter, again, a high profile leader in the church, likely realized that it would be politically dangerous for him if he didn't keep things kosher with his circumcision party voting base. So all this pressure, political pressure, social pressure, peer pressure, Peter likely felt, and he crumbled under it turning his back on his Gentile brothers and sisters, and in doing so, turning his back on Christ's vision for an intercultural church, and even worse, influencing others to do the same. And brothers and sisters, if this was the case for the great apostle Peter, then you better believe that unchecked pride and negative peer pressure will also tempt you to draw back in an intercultural church like this. If it hasn't happened to you already, there will be times as you do life in this intercultural church where your own pride and peer pressures from others will tempt you to start acting brand new and to draw back from those not like you in this church. So this morning, I simply encourage you to reflect on what kind of pride in your own heart What kinds of peer pressures might or have tempted you to want to draw back? Maybe it's the peer pressure of family and friends outside this church that thought it was all cool and cute when you said you wanted to come be a part of an intercultural church. But what's happened is that Jesus has actually used you being a part of a church like this to change you, to change some of your perspectives on some things. And you're finding maybe that it's making it harder for you to really fit in like you used to with some of your old circles. And maybe you're feeling the pressure to draw back a little bit 
so that you don't lose your spot in the circle. Trust me, I know the feeling. When I was a pastor here and the pastor of West Charlotte Church, another intercultural church over on the west side of the city, when I was pastoring in these churches, I often felt the pressure from my own people, from other black folk, to doubt and even reconsider my involvement in churches like these. When I would tell them I'm a part of a church that got white folk in it, a lot of white folk, some would hit me with that sada. That piercing and painful sada that I knew was their nonverbal way of questioning the authenticity of my blackness. Don't you know, black man, the history of how them white so-called Christian folks have treated our people? Have you forgotten that the black church was the only institution in this nation where black folks like us could find dignity in a white supremacist society? The black church was what led the civil rights charge that made them white folk have to let your black behind up in their institutions. I thought you were down for the cause. I thought you were woke, my brother. But it seems like to me... You done sold out. Black card revoked. <laughs> it was that kind of pressure that tempted me big time as a pastor to want to draw back. But it was in those weak moments, brothers and sisters, that the Lord time and time again used passages like this one to pull me right back in, reminding me and convicting me that Jesus died for this picture of his intercultural reconciling grace. I'm convinced that there's no more powerful testimony to our divided world, to our divided nation, to this divided city. I'm convinced that there's no greater demonstration of the power of the gospel in our society than a diverse church full of folk who fight and sacrifice to live out the unity that Jesus has already won for us. And it's that part what Jesus has done, the gospel, that should keep you from drawing back. And so it's no wonder at the end of our passage, in order to push off the pull of pride and peer pressure that was grabbing hold of Peter and others, Paul doesn't threaten them. He doesn't even try to guilt trip them into staying in. Rather, at the end of our passage, Paul simply reminds them of their equality at the foot of the cross. Paul puts it like this in verses 15 through 16. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile, quote, sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Again, in other words, Paul reminds them that Jews and Gentiles are both equally sinners and equally justified, equally made right with God by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Paul knew, brothers and sisters, that the gospel was God's great equalizer and unifier. That the gospel declares that we're all raggedy, 
Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, old, young, Democrat, Republican, black, brown, gold, white, whatever, or whoever you are, we're all sinners, all on our way to hell, except for the fact that Jesus said no. No, you all are mine, justified by faith, together. See, Paul understood that it's impossible to have this reality of the gospel on the front of your mind and heart and not be wooed into intercultural community with all the diversity of sinners that Jesus has saved along with you. And so Christ Central, the Lord is simply telling you this morning to look around this church and see that this is what he came and died and rose from the dead to accomplish. I'm not just saying this because this is my home church, but what the Lord is building here at Christ Central is special. So know that your pressing to form this intercultural church community is not in vain. It's worth it. And I'm sure that many of you can testify to the ways the Lord has blessed you in powerful, unique, sanctifying ways through being in an intercultural church like this. Many of you can testify to how you've tasted the blessings of being able to see and to celebrate Jesus's diverse workings in the diverse lives of the diversity of his people here. And many of you have been able to see your sin more clearly and to celebrate God's gospel grace more fully by being in this intercultural church community. Amen? And so, brothers and sisters, don't draw back from one another. Rather, lean in, not out of guilt or even a sense of duty, but lean in remembering the gospel, remembering the Son of God who loves you all and who gave himself up for you all, for you all together. So don't act brand new. Be brand new together for God's glory and for your own good. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to say thank you this morning. We thank you for your salvation. Thank you that you have made those of us who have believed in your son right with you. You've made us sons and daughters and you've brought us into unity as brothers and sisters, as siblings with one another. Please, Holy Spirit, help us to live out that reality. Help us to live out that unity in tangible and intercultural ways. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.